You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen. Friday was a day of sorrow, but Sunday is a day of hope. We saw on Friday that though the malice of man was at work in sending Jesus to the cross, the plans of God were being fulfilled through the cross. Man thought that they were putting Jesus down, but even as Jesus said, and even as we just heard in John 10, no one takes Jesus' life. He gave it up willingly, and he took it back up in the resurrection. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the backbone of the Christian faith. It is the harness and the rope that holds our entire system of belief up. Even the Apostle Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians that if Christ is not raised, then our faith is in vain and our preaching is in vain. But we believe that as Christ has died, he also has risen from the dead. And if we have faith in him, then we ourselves have died to our sin and we are alive with Christ. This April, we've been looking at the Easter story through the eyes of a skeptical man. This is the last week that we get to look at his story. The man named Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was that political figure who uh, sentenced Jesus to be killed, to be executed by crucifixion. He was dismissive of Jesus, and his attitude towards Christ has allowed us to be able to ask questions about Christianity that our skeptical culture does ask about Jesus. And today we get to ask one more question, an honest and sincere and an important question, and maybe one you've asked yourself. Why? Do others believe in Jesus? Why do some believe in Jesus, but others don't? Maybe you're from a family where uh, you believe, but your siblings don't believe. Maybe you're in a marriage where you believe, but your spouse doesn't believe. Maybe you're invited here today, and you are not a follower of Jesus. You don't believe in the good news of the cross, but your friend who invited you does believe. Today, we want to answer why. Now, Pilate himself, he had opportunities to believe in Jesus. We learned from John chapter 19 that on two occasions, he was confronted with Jesus while he was trying Jesus and seeing if Jesus deserved death. And then on two occasions, he could have believed. The first occasion was when Jesus told Pilate what his purpose was. Jesus told Pilate, for this purpose I have come to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. But Pilate didn't heed the voice of Jesus. He didn't listen to the voice of Jesus. He dismissed Jesus. What is truth? The second time came after Pilate was kind of spooked about wondering what Jesus' uh, authority or what Jesus' identity really is. Is he really a divine figure? And he came to Jesus and said, where are you from? But Jesus wouldn't answer. And Pilate, frustrated, said, don't you know that I have authority to crucify you or, and authority to release you? And Jesus responded and said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Essentially, Jesus said, my authority surpasses your authority. On two occasions, Pilate had the opportunity to believe, but he chose not to listen to Jesus' voice. He chose not to recognize Jesus' authority. Today, we're in John chapter 10, because in John chapter 10, Jesus has a rebuttal to Pilate. 
In John chapter 10, we see the themes of listening to the voice of Christ and recognizing the voice of Christ in this passage. And this passage, I believe, is going to give us the answer to the question, why do some believe but others don't? Certainly, the scripture teaches that God has ultimate control over giving the gift of faith, but from a human frame of thinking, what motivates some to believe and others not to believe? Well, before we go into John 10 to see Jesus' rebuttal to Pilate's uh, skeptical questions before him, we need to recognize what actually did happen after Pilate put Jesus to death. There's not much that's known about him from the scriptures after Pilate sent Jesus to the cross. We know that Pilate gave uh, another man named Joseph Jesus' body to be buried, but we don't really know much else. What we do know from history is that the conflicted man met a tragic end. Pilate was a conflicted man, and his life met a tragic end. He was a politically ambiguous, morally ambiguous figure who was an authoritarian ruler, but he was commissioned into his role as the representative for Roman authority in Judea by the Roman emperor Tiberius. Eventually, Tiberius was um, succeeded by the emperor uh, Gaius, and uh, Gaius and Pilate did not get along. Pilate got out of favor with the emperor of Rome pretty quickly. And things ended really badly for him. Eventually, it got so bad that the emperor Gaius sentenced Pilate to death by suicide. Pilate ended up having to take his own life. And to the best of our records, he died still dismissive, not believing in Jesus. But today as we answer this question, why do some believe in Jesus and others don't, we're going to answer Pilate's skepticism and we're also going to meet people who in our contemporary age were at first dismissive towards Christ, but then ended up receiving him. Because you see, sometimes even the most adamant opposers to the faith, people even in opposition to the amount like Pilate was, sometimes the people the most adamantly against Jesus can become the most faithful believers in Jesus. I want to introduce you to a couple of those people today. Here's the first one. This man on the screen is a journalist named Peter Hitchens. You probably don't know Peter Hitchens. You might know his brother, Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens was, and I say was because he died of throat cancer, uh, Christopher Hitchens was a journalist for Vanity Fair, in, uh, and he was a journalist in Britain for most of his life. He was an atheist debater who wrote uh, a book called God is Not Great, subtitle, How Religion Poisons Everything. Not so much a fan of Jesus. This is his brother, though, Peter, and when Peter and Christopher were both in youth, you could argue that Peter's hatred of Christianity was even more visceral than Christopher's was. When Christopher was 15 years, or excuse me, when Peter was 15 years old, he took the Bible that his parents gave him to school with some matches and burnt it in the playground with his friends to show his disdain and prove his loyalty to atheism. He eventually became a Marxist in political uh, philosophy and ended up moving to the Soviet Union. And in the Soviet Union, he saw the horrors of what happened under this state that tried to govern 
with an atheist worldview and philosophy. And when he saw the horrors of this atheistic state, he started to doubt his doubts about Christianity. He started to see the sin around him, and then he started to recognize the sin in his own heart. And then one day he went to a uh, museum where he saw this religious painting about the last judgment when Christ will judge all people. And he was burdened with recognizing that he truly was a sinner who stood condemned before God. This is what Peter Hitchens said, the man who burned his Bible at 15. He said, I did not have a religious experience. Nothing mystical or inexplicable took place. No trance, no swoon, no vision, no voices, no blaze of light, but a large catalog of misdeeds. Misdeeds ranging from the embarrassing to the appalling replayed themselves rapidly in my head. I had absolutely no doubt that I was among the damned. I had felt proper fear. Not very often, but enough to know that it is an important gift that helps us to think clearly at moments of danger. Fear is good for us and helps us to escape from great dangers. Those who do not feel it are in permanent peril because they cannot see the risks that lie at their feet. After thinking that his sin was not a risk, Peter Hitchens recognized that there is a God, that his sin kept him in opposition to God, and that if he did not believe in Jesus, he would face the fear of eternal damnation. And the man who was an ardent atheist turned from atheism and believed in Jesus. Even the most adamantly people opposed to Jesus can end up changing their minds and believing. Even in Jesus' day, four Roman guards crucified Jesus, but just as Jesus died, one of those Roman guards looked at him and changed his mind and said, behold, this man truly was the son of God. Even one of Jesus' siblings, his name was James. Jesus was the son of Mary and the son of God, but Mary also had some other children. One of them was James, and James, along with his siblings, thought that Jesus was just nuts on his three-year teaching uh, preaching tour, teaching about the kingdom of God. James thought Jesus was nuts. But after James heard that Jesus died, and then after James saw Jesus risen from the dead, James changed his mind and believed in Jesus. During Pilate's trial of Jesus, Jesus told Pilate, if you are of the truth, you'll listen to my voice. Jesus told Pilate, my Authority surpasses yours. But Pilate dismissed Jesus' voice, and Pilate would not recognize Jesus' authority. In John chapter 10, we're going to learn today what could happen. What could happen if you heeded the voice of Jesus? What could result if you recognize the authority of Jesus? And I believe in this passage, we see reason and we see motivation for why people believe in Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And verse, just before in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and they might have it abundantly. Abundant life through the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Then look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay my life down that I may take it up of my own accord. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down I have authority to take it up, this charge I have received from my Father. See, what would happen if you would recognize the authority of Jesus, what would happen if you would listen to the voice of Jesus, is that you would be able to be welcomed into a relationship with Jesus. See, the resurrection of Christ proves that the message of the cross is true, that there is a cost for sin, but that Jesus lovingly paid that cost The resurrection proves that the message of the cross is true, and the resurrection proves that abundant life can be enjoyed today. The resurrection proves that we can enjoy abundant life today. This is why people believe in Jesus. This is the motivation to turn from sin and to embrace Christ because having a relationship with Christ is better than anything that this world can offer. The rest of John 10 that we're going to consider now is going to evaluate how and why. How can we enjoy this abundant life and and why is it more meaningful and more enjoyable and more pleasurable than any other way of living? This is the hope of the resurrection. The resurrection proves that we can have abundant life today. And there's two ways that this passage says that we can enjoy abundant life today with Christ. The first one is this. We can enjoy abundant life today in a relationship with Jesus marked by his love. If you want to enjoy abundant life, you can know that by faith in Jesus, you can have abundant life in a relationship with Jesus marked by love. Love, John 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says that the relationship that we can have with him is like the relationship that a sheep has with a shepherd. And now, to modern people like us who live in like an uh, information society and not an agrarian society, The idea that God would compare us to be sheep isn't very admirable. Sheep aren't really esteemable creatures. It's kind of belittling, isn't it? To be told by God, you're my little sheep. You know, if I want to be compared to an animal, maybe I'd want to, I don't want to be a sheep. I kind of want to be the sheep dog, you know? The one who's really close with the, no, but to first century people who understood agrarian society and the relationship that shepherds have with sheep, this wasn't a belittling term. This was an endearing, loving term to be called a sheep. If thinking of yourself as a sheep sounds belittling, then think about the qualities of the shepherd. A shepherd has to have leadership. The leadership to be able to know where to lead the sheep and take the sheep so that they can be in abundant pastures so that they can be nourished, cherished, and flourish. The shepherd needs to be able to have courage 
to be able to fight off thieves and wolves who would prey on the sheep. They need to have the courage to protect the sheep. The shepherd needs to be able to have compassion because sheep can wander off on their own, and by their own, sheep can go in tremendous harm because they're tremendously vulnerable, but the shepherd has compassion to go after the sheep and find them in the most vulnerable moments and places and bring them back to the fold. And that's the type of relationship that you can have with the invisible God. It might sound irrational that I, by faith in Jesus that this God who I don't see can lead me to in a way that nourishes me so that I can flourish, but it's true. It might sound irrational that, that he is a God that protects me in times of hardship, even though I can't see him, but it's true. It might sound like it doesn't make sense that this God that I can't see has compassion on me and loves me even when I'm vulnerable, but it's true. This woman on the screen is another woman who changed her mind and believed in Jesus. Uh, this woman's name is Jackie Hill Perry. Jackie Hill Perry is a Christian hip-hop artist. A uh, little secret about the preacher. Preacher kind of likes Christian hip-hop. <laughs> and this woman is actually one of my favorite artists. She is quite remarkable. Jackie Hill Perry wrote an autobiography that was released in the past couple of years called Gay Girl, Good God. In, it, in that book, she tells about growing up in a broken home with an absent father. She tells the story of how she was abused by one of her, of her friend's older brothers. And she tells the story about how she grew up only being same-sex attracted, only being wa wanting to be in a relationship with women, growing up in a church where she didn't feel comfortable because of her sexual orientation, but how through this process, when she wanted just to be separated from God, God still went after her. A time came when she realized that though she knew about God, she knew that she had no active relationship with God, and she knew that she was separated from God. She knew that she was opposed to God, and she knew that it wasn't just her sexual orientation that separated her from God. She had this sense that her entire state of being was at odds with God. She writes this, when God called me to myself, he was after my whole heart. That night, I knew that it wasn't just my lesbianism that had me at odds with God. It was my entire heart. I'd known about God for so long, but now it seemed as if God was inviting me to know him, to love him, to walk with him, to be in a relationship with him. That moment, that epiphany, that my sin left untreated would be the death of me wasn't a matter of me trying to be straight or even trying to escape hell. No, it was about God positioning himself before my eyes so that I could finally see that he is everything he says he is and worthy to be trusted. Soon after that night when she recognized that she was opposed to God but that she needed to turn towards God, to know God, to love God, she recognized that she needed to end her relationship. She recognized that she needed to end a relationship with someone that she genuinely loved, someone that she lived with. But she did it so that she could have a relationship with someone who loved her even more. Some, someone with whom she knew she could live with 
forever. And I find her faith remarkable. This is what she said about having to end her relationship. Shortly after that pivotal night, I was doing the painful work of breaking up with my girlfriend. Her tears were too loud to listen to without regret. To leave her, us, our love, made no sense apart from the divine doing of God. She was both my woman and my idol. Though it was as painful as the extreme act of removing a part of my own body, it was better for me to lose her than to lose my soul. I find that faith remarkable. She knew what you can know today. That even though you cannot see God with your eyes, the evidence that God came down to be with man in Jesus Christ, and the proof that Jesus died and rose from the dead, is certifiable fact that this Jesus proclaimed about in the scriptures, though you cannot see him with your eyes, can live in your heart and you can know him and be known by him in a loving relationship that is even more satisfying and even more greater than any human relationship that you could ever have. Jesus describes this relationship. I know my own, my own know me. See, the true depth of love that we can have in relationships is enjoyed when we mutually know one another in a way that's willing to be vulnerable with one another and in a way that loves one another, even in our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses and our shame. If you've raised or trained dogs, you kind of get this. Right, you know, you've had that dog since it was a pup. You've raised it since it's a pup. You trained it so that it could uh, have certain habits and tendencies. You know it's bad habits and tendencies. And when it acts a certain way, behaviorally good or behaviorally bad, you know how to respond to it to give it what it needs. If you've ever had kids, you know this way more. You know, you carried this baby, you gave birth to this baby. When other people hear your baby cry, you might just say, just like, oh, that baby's really sad. And you're like, no, that's not a sad cry. That's a hungry cry. That's not a sad cry. That's a tired cry. You know this child, and, and you can give this child exactly what it needs if you're married and you've been married for years in a loving, faithful relationship of fidelity. You know this even more. A loving relationship between a husband and a wife that is with each other for years and years and years. They know each other. They are known by each other to such a degree that even when you see your spouse stepping through the door, you can just see by the countenance of their face exactly how their day was without even a word. And then because you love that individual, you know exactly what they do, what you can do to care for them based on how their day went. That's the type of relationship marked by love that we can have with Jesus. He knows your needs and he can meet your needs, starting with the greatest need, forgiveness. And he loves you so much that he knew that just like Jackie Hill Perry had to figure out that not just one aspect of your life, but your, our entire lives are at odds with him because of our sin. Yet he suffered for our sins so that we could be saved from our sin. He was forsaken by the Father so that you could be uh, forgiven by the Father. He was rejected so that you could be accepted. 
And if you believe in him, you can know him. God's spirit will come and live in you. And it's hard to quantify that in a way if you, that, uh, just unless you've actually believed in him and lived by it. It's hard to quantify that except to know that when you seek God in his word, in your sorrow, in your despair, in your weakness, and you ask him for help, the spirit of Christ actually leads you into nourishing, flourishing paths. He actually protects you when you're going through a hardship. He actually cares for you in your most vulnerable moments because he knows you, because he created you. Every tear you've cried, he stores in a bottle. Every hair on your head or maybe lack of hair on your head, he knows and he counts. And he gave his son for you. And if you will believe in him and follow him, you can have abundant life in him. This is why people believe in Jesus. Because they can have abundant life in a relationship marked by love. But not only in a relationship marked with Jesus by love, but you can enjoy abundant life in a community marked by God's word. These are the two ways that we can enjoy abundant life with Christ. The two ways that are proven through the resurrection. We can have a relationship marked by his love and we can be part of a community marked by God's word. Look at verse 16 of chapter 10 with me. It says this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus explains that his relationships with followers isn't just a relationship with individuals, like he's a life coach that has um, time slots for one Christian and another Christian, one follower and another follower. That's not the relationship that Jesus has with his followers. If Christianity were a competitive sport, it wouldn't be golf. You have your tea time, you take your shot, someone else comes and they follow you. Now, if Christianity were a competitive sport, it'd be more like football. American football, European football, it doesn't matter. Christianity would be a team sport, where a team sport where if you miss one player, the rest of the team falters, where you need everyone to succeed. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, and he will listen to my voice, though truly, men, if you want an abundant relationship with God, you must listen to his voice. Notice someone doesn't say she will listen to my voice. Though, ladies, if you want a relationship with God that's abundant, you must listen to his voice and his word. It says they will listen to my voice. When Jesus came from heaven to earth, he was specifically sent to the Jewish nation. But after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he sent his followers out to spread the message into all nations so that any who believed on him could be saved. God's plan in Jesus Christ through the cross and the resurrection is to offer abundant life to all people. And the shepherd doesn't just lead one sheep. The shepherd leads a flock. That means that if we want to enjoy abundant life, we need to be a part of the flock. We need to be a part of the community. And maybe being a part of a community is stressful to you, or this isn't like an extrovert thing versus an introvert thing. This is the way that God created us to live as men and women made in his image. It's not good for us to be alone. 
And when we're together, we have the anchor of his word to allow us to flourish following his way. So that as we see other sheep going astray, we can encourage each other to come back to the good shepherd. The word of God is the anchor for a community to live by forgiveness, to live with love, to live with mercy, to set aside personal agendas and live for the glory of our king alone. No more, no politics like in unions or like in Queens Park. No trying to climb the corporate ladder and get it on top of somebody else. No pining for a position so that someone can recognize that I'm actually someone special, but considering other people's interests more significant than our own. That's what's happening in the flock. That's what happens in a community that's marked by God's word. This man on the screen is C.S. Lewis. This may be one of the people, one of the three people that I introduced to you today that you might be familiar with. C.S. Lewis was a well-known professor, philosopher, and probably most uh, known for his books that he authored, Christian philosophy books and also fantasy books. C.S. Lewis was the author of the fantasy series that has been made into movies, The Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis was uh, raised in a family Uh, where he was taught about God, but as a young boy often is, he was more interested in fantasy and mythology. Just shy of his 10th birthday, his mother tragically died. And though he was taught about God, and his mom taught him about God, when his mother died, he came to the conclusion, to the opinion that if there was a God, he was cruel and not worth trusting. Throughout his youth in boarding school, he chose to become an atheist. He abandoned Christian faith, chose a path of atheism, and wanted to become uh, academic. And he got pretty successful at it. He was a published author. He became a professor of English literature. And as he pursued his career of academics, he gathered friends around him who were academics also. And accidentally, he noticed one day that so many of his academic friends were actually all Christian. They were men that he really admired, not for their faith, but for their intellect. But even in their intellect, they had faith. One of his good friends was actually the author of the Lord of the Rings series, J.R.R. Tolkien. And he was just quite shocked that his best friends, who he intellectually admired, were Christian, and his favorite authors, who he became uh, read in, also were Christian. And when he found himself surrounded by so many Christians who were intellectual and actually smart, he began to doubt his doubts about Christianity. And he said this in his book, Surprised by Joy, which is his own autobiography. He said, "'That which I greatly feared had come upon me at last.'" In 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. I did not see then what is now the most shining and obvious thing, the the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. His compulsion is our liberation. C.S. Lewis became a strong advocate for the Christian faith. 
one of the loudest and uh, most uh, strongest intellectual voices. And C.S. Lewis understood the value of Christian community. His probably best known Christian philosophy book is the book Mere Christianity. And in it, he talks about the value of Christian community and how in it we can know God. He says God can show himself as he really is only to real men. And that means not simply to men who are individually good, but to men who are united together in a body, loving one another, helping one another, showing him to one another. For that is what God meant humanity to be like, like players in one band or organs in one body. C.S. Lewis understood that abundant life in Christ is enjoyed when we're you, we are united together. And the unity that we have together is God's word. It's listening to the voice of Jesus. Much of our culture has no respect for God's word. Even though it's riddled through our national anthem, even though it's plasters on the wall of parliament, even though it's the foundation for our charter of human rights. Most of our culture considers that the Bible is an ancient relic of the past and the only people who consider it today are less enlightened, less evolved, probably discriminatory people. But those who heed it, those who recognize the authority of Jesus and listen to the voice of Jesus recognize that it is the greatest foundation for community to flourish. Because when we listen to the voice of Christ and put him first, all of the agendas fall to the side. When we put Christ first, we'll look to the interests of others before the interests of our own because isn't that what Jesus Christ did on the cross? He humbled himself so that we might be saved. He gave up his life so that we could give life, have life. That's the ethic that binds together the church. That's the light that Christians should shine in to the darkness. The resurrection proves that the message of Christ is true. And the resurrection is the motivation for people to believe in him. Because through it, we can have abundant life in a relationship with Jesus, marked by love, and a community marked by God's word. C.S. Lewis was intellectually compelled by it. Jackie Hill Perry was irresistibly drawn to it. Peter Hitchens was solemnly provoked by it. But Pontius Pilate simply dismissed it. So as we finally come to a close of this study of the skeptical man, Pontius Pilate, I would ask you the same question we asked on the first week that we were introduced to this man. Does Jesus have your attention today? I think one of the hardest questions to answer in life is what if? What if comprises all of our fears of the future and all of our regrets of the past? What if I can't pay rent? What if I don't get accepted into that university? What if someone else gets that job? What if I actually took that job? What if I didn't go to that party? What if I said yes? 
Pilate didn't end up believing in Jesus. And a day came where there was no more opportunity. He was sentenced to even take his own life tragically. But today doesn't need to pass for you to make a decision. You may have thought you've already made your decision about who Jesus is. Jackie Hill Perry did. So did Peter Hitchens. So did C.S. Lewis. But they can look back and recognize that they had the courage to make a second decision and they don't need to wonder what if anymore. No more regrets about the past. No more fear about the future. Confident assurance because Jesus rose from the dead. Pilate thought he made his final decision when he nailed Jesus to the cross. But Jesus had the last word it is finished, he is risen. And you thought, may have thought that you've made your final decision about Christ, but I would implore you, implore you to have the courage to make a second decision. The resurrection proves that the message of the cross is true and that you can have abundant life in him today. The resurrection proves that there is a cost for sin, but that Jesus paid that cross and by believing in him, you will be forgiven. And that by believing in him, you can have a relationship with him marked by love and you can be welcomed into a community marked by God's word you can, where, you can be belong, where you can belong and you can be loved. Believe on Jesus today and you can have this. No regrets of the past, no fears of the future, abundant life in Christ because Christ died and Christ has risen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that you are our good shepherd. And thank you that you lay down your life for even me. God, I'm an individual who so often goes astray. I'm like a sheep who so often goes astray, but I'm thankful that you love me enough to go after me and bring me back. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that you made yourself known to us. And Father, I pray for us that we would all see and consider you for who you truly are. The King, the Savior, the Son of God, a shepherd, a friend. And thank you that coming down to earth and being risen from the dead is proof positive that we can have a relationship with you today. Lord, I pray that you would give the gift of faith to people today, that they would have the courage to change their mind, to believe in Jesus, and to follow you. And God, I know that it can be risky to, to consider the giving up something so that we can have something that I've never tasted before, that I've never touched before, but thank you that your word is evidence of what is true and what is real and Lord, would you open our eyes that we might see it and believe in it. You are great. You are glorious. And we offer the glory and the praise to you, our kind and loving God. In Jesus' name, amen.